No, you do it. There's too much pressure. You're cute. Go. Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to what do we call it again? Flop shop. Flop it's shop. A flop yes. Shop. <laughs> it took us an inordinate amount of time to do the flop shop. Um, did I have to look up every single like major movie pun? I had to like go down list and be like, what rhymes with this, Cormac? Um, and we've learned this week how many hours Isadora has spent playing Animal Crossing. Isadora, would you like to inform our good viewers? No, I feel personally attacked by this statement. And um, no, no, uh, I don't even know why you were looking that up. I don't know why we needed to bring that into the conversation, Cormac. I feel personally attacked. Feel personally attacked, sir. Also, considering how much time people spend on Animal Crossing, I really stand by that 195 hours and like three months of owning the game isn't actually that much. It's not that much. One of my friends is 425 hours, so you know, you're still still working up towards that. Okay, well, you know, um, been balancing my medical school exams and things, you know, you know. Yeah, it's almost like you got more important things in your life. Yeah, it's almost like I uh, I have stuff to be doing during COVID. <laughs> um, so uh, today we'll be covering Annie 2014, which we watched a few months ago now, so we're pretty rusty on it. But I've been reading about it because I'm very organized. So Isadora, do you remember any of the plot of Annie, roughly what happens? Money equals love. Which seems pretty correct in a capitalist society. Yeah, so Annie is this little orphan. She's been looked after by this foster mom who doesn't like her. Uh, gets taken in by this wealthy billionaire. I have a comment. Uh, got like a father-daughter so relationship. And then at the end, he adopts her. Uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I have a comment. Um, yeah. Upon re-watching the Annie trailer, I mm. am really confused as to how the... Um, lady who takes care of her who is played by that blonde actress i never know actors names cameron Ds. yes yes there yeah that sounds like a big one that i should have known okay mm. um how does cameron diaz as like a foster mother afford her apartment that was a really nice apartment like i was yeah. looking at that yeah it's one of these like hollywood rules where you know in friends they have this gigantic apartment even though in the friends finale they did explain that they had a rent allowance or um Rent control, so it's yeah. plausible that they could have somewhere nice, even though it wouldn't be placed. Their rent control departments are the single greatest thing in the entire world, but also I just don't feel like Cameron Diaz's apartment was rent controlled. Yeah, so, considering she's like an alcoholic who's looking after a couple of foster kids, it's it's unlikely she'd be able to afford it. Yeah, I was just looking at that, being like, okay, look, I completely and utterly understand that you know we're supposed to <laughs> feel bad for the foster kids and that you know it's a bunch of kids to like a room, but I was also like, wow. This is so much nicer than my apartment in San Francisco back when I was making like real person money before I sold my soul to medical school. Like exactly when you had actual qualifications. Really bad for skills. Cameron Diaz. Um, so we'll get back to Cameron Diaz later, but at the moment, Isadora, do you know the uh, because I've been reading the Wikipedia page, the uh, origins of Annie. When Annie dates back to and in what medium? I don't know. Is it a book? Is Annie a book? All I know is um, Orphan Eye Annie because of the, um, because of medicine. Because like one of the um, types of thyroid cancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which orphan one? Orphan Eye Annie. Um, papillary? 
Yes, <laughs> you have these sort of fears of like, Oh I'm my god! On that. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god! I Good love job. it. Good job. <laughs> Remember first year of medical school, I was so bad at everything you asked me. You thought I was as dumb as a bag of rocks. You were like, Isadora, what is this? I'm like, the kidney as I stare at a liver. Yeah, so the histopathologist called, uh, called them the little orphanity cells because they look kind of white in the middle with like red bits at the top. And they're like, oh, it looks like Annie from the cartoons. So um, Annie, I thought would start it off as a comic book, but I was incorrect. It actually started off as a poem in the late 19th century. Um, which like it has a kind of Grimm's brother vibe where the poem is basically an orphan who's telling kids to behave or else goblins will come and eat them which seems intense for a poem but it is like 19th century when you you like die at 10 years old as a chimney sweep so I'm going to read a verse of the poem this is Annie warning the kids not to do crazy stuff okay uh, and warning them about this little girl who was like made fun of people uh, this is in an Indiana accent, a Hoosier accent, which I don't know, but I'm going to go for it. Was it made in Indiana? Yeah, I think it was written in Indiana. It's like they've, written, they've written it phonetically, so it's made to sound like Are you Indiana. going to try to do basically like a 1910 Indiana accent? And 1885 Indiana accent, so here oh, we Jesus go. Christ. <laughs> and one time, a little girl, I just laugh and grin and make fun of everyone and all her blood and kin. And aunt, when they was company and old folks was there, she mocked them and shocked them and said she didn't care. And this that she kicked her heels and turned to run and hide. There was two great big black things standing by her side. And they snatched her through the ceiling for she know what she's about. And the goblins get you if you don't watch out. It was really weird. It was like I felt you were somehow both channeling an 80-year-old grandmother um, speaking, but then also somehow an Italian gangster. Yeah, no, that accent is all over the place. That was like, if that was have, like my... Any, if we have any viewers from Indiana, I apologize. Um, that I was like, like Vonnegut. A... I didn't mean to. <laughs> Kurt Vonnegut, your idol. He's just yeah, he's he's so disappointed right now. Um, so but yeah, I don't a... know. Yeah. It's like my mafia grandma, like trying to <laughs> trying to do an accent. My mafia Indiana grandma. So I, most people don't, so most people know Annie from uh, the cartoons. So there's originally cartoons in the 1920s, these kind of like black and white funny pages stuff, the back of newspapers, you know, the ones told in three panels, uh, where she gets taken in by uh, the billionaires called War Books in the comic books because he made his books from war. He was an industrialist after World War I. Um, in the remake in 2014, they change it to, I think he owns like a mobile network. Is equivalent I think to so, but then also, do, do mobile networks actually make that much money? That was something I was thinking about as well. I thought they yeah. were like permanently bankrupt sometimes. They, yeah, they, they're in a lot of debt. Like, they always need to make new networks. Like, so it's like, how much money do you really have, sir? Yeah. I want to see your tax returns. Yeah. They did that for uh, for Kingsman as well, where it's like the bad guy owns a mobile network. I was like, I don't actually know any mobile network moguls. Like, moguls. I thought it'd be more sense for him to be kind of a, uh, you know, Rupert Murdoch type. But anyway. That's besides the point. Yeah. So that started in the 1920s. It's pretty popular. In 1977, it was brought to Broadway as Annie. And in 1982, there's a film adaptation by John Huston, who, do you know who Angelica Huston is? She's, do you see the Adams family? They like, uh, oh, yes, yes, I yeah, am. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So she's a mom in that. Da, 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 da. Yeah. 
So John Huston was a, a film director. He's most famous for directing the Maltese Falcon. Have you seen that one? The kind of noir film? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so he pioneered queer coding in film. There you go. I really don't. Mm, that's problematic, <laughs> but okay. Um, I mean, I mean, it's one of the great, it's one of the great noir films, but there is also queer coding. Um, yes, yeah, so like I recognize it's one of the great noir films, but I think we can recognize nowadays in like our modern society, looking back, that although those were the norms of the time, that in our modern society that was probably not a good no, thing that we had queer look. coding introduced. <laughs> I, yeah, I, it's don't not think, a... I don't think it's on YouTube, so, but uh, it's just one of the things I wanted to mention because I never get No, no, it's okay. It's just one of those things where, like, um, there are all these old movies that we idolize, but then I think it's also important to be able to recognize aspects of them that are problematic that nowadays. It doesn't reduce the fact that, like, you know, you can think it's a good movie, but I think it's still important to, like, recognize aspects of it that would not be acceptable nowadays in society, you know? Yeah. Like for people who haven't seen the film, there's a character called Joel Cairo. He's really kind of, you know, sneaky and duplicitous. And like he's portrayed as quite gay as well, like quite effeminate. And with the Hayes like Code... Like the stereotype out, of like what a... Yeah, like what exactly, people think like, the gay stereotype of a man back he come, Yeah, then. he comes off as gay. And like that's part of the idea. Like, no, of course you can't trust him. He's always gay. Which I guess would have been the norm at the time. Like attitudes would have, would have evolved a lot over 70 years. Um, but yeah, so by ni late 1970s, he has stopped directing films and he's emphysema and he's living in County Galway. But he gets, they get him back in the saddle. Yeah, yeah. They get him back in the saddle for one he's last film. He's living in County Galway? Yeah, yeah. He moves to County Galway for his retirement and also... Um, I mean, if I'm going to retire you know, somewhere, TBH Galway would be great. <laughs> um, you know the guy who directed the original Little Shop of Horrors, Roger yes. Corman? And he directed a Fantastic Four movie in 1994. Um, he also moved to, to Galway in his retirement. So there seems to be a thing about American directors. What is with all these, like, um, you know what it is? Okay, I think that American culture, and maybe you can relate this if you've ever, like, spoken. Because you went and um, you were in the um, Irish Parade in New York when you did the oh, yeah, Patrick's Day Parade. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can tell that there's a certain dynamic, I think, particularly with East Coast Americans, or, like... Americans who 200 years ago had Irish heritage, where they really idealize Ireland. Then when I tell them, like, oh yeah, I lived in, I've lived in Ireland for like the last like three to four years, they're like, oh, were you Irish? Like, how did you like my homeland? And I'm like, oh, have you been to Ireland? They're like, no, but I'm Irish from 300 years ago. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, that's well, a big part of their heritage, like, um, yeah. and yeah, it's kind of how American people define their identities, like their heritage, mm -hmm. where their ancestors are from. Um, but yeah, so he was brought on to make the film. It came out in 1992. Have you seen the original film? Do you like it? I did like it. Um, overall, like, yes, like I really like stylistically how it's kind of like portrayed. Like, I don't know. Just enjoy it. I think it's probably overall the best film adaptation. Albert fin uh, Finney, who's the dad in Big Fish, and he's the old man at the end of Skyfall. He plays, um... War books. I'm not a huge fan of it, mainly because they made some weird choices. Like they had a lot of kind of synth music, which I feel is like dated it a lot for the early okay. 90s. I, okay. as someone who um still listens to synth music <laughs> to this day, Cormac, I'll have you know it'd be real trendy with the kids. <laughs> Anything it made it better. 
<laughs> like I, I listen to any synth music and I immediately am like, ah, oh, yes, my inner 2000 child is so fundamentally happy. Mm-hmm. Did my door so, pull You can go get it, yeah. pick that up. Okay. No, I'm like, there's an apartment above me, so I'm assuming that it's it could be th- that. them. I don't know. I'm in an Airbnb, yo. I don't pick up strange doors in Chicago to strangers. <laughs> so um, so there's also a 1999 TV movie made by Disney where uh, Cathy Bates plays uh, Miss Hannigan. She's great in it. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've seen that one as well. Yeah, the rest of the film is okay. I think the girl who plays Annie is quite a good voice, and she's a decent actress. Cathy Bates is, like, brilliant, whatever she's in. Mm-hmm. So that brings us to the present day. Uh, did you know in 1998, Jay-Z made a cover of Hard Knock Life? Really? Yeah, yeah. I'll I actually did little... know that. Did you? <laughs> I, knew, I knew the version of Hard Knock Life. Okay, I really wish that I was better at remembering off the top of my head the names of films. Do you remember that film? It is a parody of like James Bond. Austin Powers, Gold Member. Yeah, yes, I remember yes. the Hard Knock That's Life from Austin Powers. <laughs> yeah. It's when he's in the prison. I'm going to play a little bit of that now for the people in the audience. And we're back. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, that was really fun. Um, so Jay-Z is actually a producer on this film, 2014 film. But the real kind of machination... That explains why the music is such a bop. Yeah, music's pretty good. Like, I really, really like the soundtrack. As a producer, yeah. um, the soundtrack was actually so much better than the plot. Mm. So to give a bit of background for this film... Around 2010, um, Will Smith wanted his kids to be movie stars. So his uh, son, Jaden, starred opposite Jackie Chan in a remake of The Karate Kid. It was a big hit, even though they used Kung Fu and not karate. And then, he's, and then Willow Smith came out with the song. The Bop. Yeah. I whip my hair back and forth. <laughs> I, okay. Yeah. Maybe me and uh, like ten year old girls like adored it, but honestly, I like it. I really like that it was um, I don't know. I think I've talked to you about this before, but um, it's really sometimes hard to find representations of like strong females in media that isn't just like the stereotypical like um, like white empowered female. So I really enjoy like I really I liked Willow Smith. Like I really liked the fact that like particularly in American culture like. Black hair has always been like a controversial like topic mm-hmm. because obviously like people should be allowed to have their hair in every in any way they prefer. But then like traditionally in our society, like people who have like braids and this is like definitely like not a topic that I should be actively discussing. But like people when they have braids or people when they have like a classic style like Afro, they have to change their hair in like corporate America. Mm-hmm. So I thought that it was really cool that Willow Smith had a song that was actually just like being like, no, actually, my hair is fantastic and beautiful and wonderful, and I'm going with it back and forth. Thank you, sir. Yeah, it's a good look. And she was only like 11 at the time when that song was a hit. And Will Smith was like, this girl can sing. This girl can presumably act. She's my daughter. Um, so, yeah, let's make a version of Annie. But then by the time they got the kind of the funding together and everything, she had aged out of the role. She was kind of a teenager by then. It's a little bit old for Annie. So instead, a film, Beasts of the Southern Wild, came out. Which Have you seen that one yet? Yes. Is it is really, really, really good. Oh yeah. my god, like oh that okay. That girl can um she can she can act. Yeah. I don't think but, Annie did her enough justice actually. Yeah, I don't think I don't think so either. She was from the, from that one she really can act, like from what I've heard. 
Um, so her name is Kwavenjene Kev- uh, Wallace. It's a name I've never heard like spoken out loud, only ever written now. So hopefully yeah, I pronounce that. that was one of the things I was um, wondering about. I was like, oh my God, I adore her. How do I make sure that I pronounce her name correctly? Because as you know, <laughs> I infamously can't pronounce anything right. Like I casually slobber over French words. <laughs> and I was like, how how one do this? But yes, I think you're right. It's Quavenjene. Yeah. I see how big a deal it is now when like someone correctly pronounces Donald Leeson in America because I just I, I anyway, so she was really good in that film. She got cast in Annie. Um Jamie Foxx got cast as the kind of war books character. Uh Cameron Diaz was cast as Miss Hannigan. And Rose Byrne, who you might recognize from playing um, Gloria Steinem in Mrs. America, was cast as uh, kind of the assistant to the billionaire. I forget her name. And then her oh, book. by the way, I love Rose Byrne as an actress. Yeah. But can we, I think at some point we need to discuss how they have no chemistry in the entire movie. Oh, they have, they have zero chemistry. Um, Actually, but she, well, but she, was, she, was, she, she was carried cool. that entire movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Everyone else couldn't act. Everyone else is pretty poor. Um, let's take it down bit by bit. Kevin Wallace, she can seriously act. Like, she carried the entire film. She's the only... She's already an Oscar nominee coming into this. And she left the film with um, a Golden Globe nomination for Best Actress in a Comedy Musical, which I think she deserves. Like, this film, by and large, was awful. And she, like, yeah. carries it. Um, you know what I think the problem is with it? Is that um, it has all the Annie wholesomeness. Like, she herself really depicted some of the, like, wonderful, like, child aspects of Annie that we really like. And then she also was able to be, like, assertive and smart and intelligent throughout the entire thing. But then the adults really didn't... It's, like, very strange because normally we applaud child actors for keeping up with the adults Mm. in a performance. But it was actually, like, the adults were not keeping up with the child actor, which was very strange. It felt a little phoned in at times, except Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz was was doing the most with what she was given. We'll we'll get back to her. (laughs) I think with with uh, Jamie Foxx, like he can, I I thought he was he had a fairly good relationship with Annie. Like I felt daughter daughter relationship was very natural. But you're right, he had zero chemistry with Rose Byrne. Also, Rose Byrne was already going out with uh, Bobby Cannavale, who plays like the villain in it. Um, like he was her. They had better chemistry. Yeah, they had better chemistry because they were going out in real life. So I, I don't, I don't think it makes sense if you're going to have like a romantic relationship in a film. You're like, oh, also I'm going to cast my long-term partner in a supporting role. Also, I would like to question the concept. Okay, this is going to sound. This is going to get into a whole other thing. Um, so I'm just going to say really quickly. I really like to question the concept of why do we always need a romantic subplot in a movie. Like, why can we, because I've actually, I'm, I'm quite certain that there have been films talking about, like, the relationship between, like, father and son, and that doesn't necessarily need a romantic subplot. So I found it strange that in one where you're talking about father and, you know, adopted daughter and, like, this beautiful parental relationship that mm-hmm. can come up where, like, Annie teaches him to be a, a better father figure, but also learn how to value other people. Mm-hmm. And then she, in exchange, is able to get, like, the family she always wanted. But it's like, why do why do we need a mother figure necessarily in that? Like, why did he need to have a romantic subplot, you know? Yeah, I, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. Like you said, it's him relying that he needs other people. Like, one of the parts I liked about this remake is when you watch the original film, they go to his house, it's full of, like, 8 million servants, which makes sense for the 1930s. 
but you go to his house in the remake and it's completely empty. Like yeah. it's a smart home where everything's voice activated. He's like, I'm so rich. I never have to interact with anyone. And that's something I can totally imagine. It's like the Tony Stark house where he's talking to Jarvis all the time. Mm-hmm. He's like emotionally dead inside. Um, but you're right. It was completely fun and completely unnecessary. Um, and also, I don't think in like the post Me Too era, the idea of like rich billionaire, you know, going out with his assistant plays particularly well, you know, or the idea that yeah. like she's infatuated with him and all this time just never told him. Like, yeah, it's like, but also, okay, this is just maybe this is just me and my like Isadora feminist principles walking over everything. But to be fair, like mm-hmm. I stand by those. Um, but also, why can't you just have a depiction of like a friendship between? Like, two mm-hmm. people who work together. Like, why does it have to immediately become romantic? It's like, why can't the man Kingsman and a woman... Kingsman did that. Mm-hmm. Kingsman did that. Yes, and they actually did that really well, and I appreciate it immensely. Um, I know, as someone who is involved in the Kingsman fandom, I know that the Kingsman <laughs> fandom appreciated immensely. You, you were the one person at the Kingsman, too. <laughs> for me, midnight Excuse me, there were two other people at the Kingsman <laughs> 2 midnight premiere in Dublin... <laughs> Me and two other people, but I showed up the earliest to get my... Because <laughs> you have to have the perfect seat to enjoy the movie. Um, <laughs> so Rose, Rose Byrne is kind of... I feel like she's a little bit of dork, but she's good in scenes with Annie, but she has no chemistry with um, with Jamie Foxx. Um, I think Cameron Diaz is terrible in this movie. She like got a Grammy... or not, She got a, a Razzie like nominee. Me. Yeah, she, it was so bad that after I this film, she, this she retired from acting. This is the last film she ever did. God, that's completely incorrect. She yeah. was a star in this movie. She was doing she was the most. She was terrible in this movie. Okay, so I'm going to preface by saying I like the Miss Hannigan who's just a complete misanthrope and hates children and like hates like this. Like I want her to be a um, kind of Miss Trunchbull-like figure. And I feel like Hattie Bates does that really well. But I feel like this film, she just plays like, She's, I think she was in a uh, bad teacher before this, so she's playing this kind of similar, very broad, alcoholic role, which I felt didn't, I didn't find it that funny. I'm like, they were supposed to, I think they I wanted us to find it hilarious. I found it honest. She was I, doing I the most. To, I'd prefer to have like a, a mother figure who just hates children and is like, why am I in this, rather than like a mother figure who is just like, I'm an alcoholic, but I'm functioning. And like, these kids are kind of pulling me through it. No, and that's completely fair. And um, I understand if, as a Miss Hannigan character, perhaps in comparison to other Miss Hannigans, she's not really doing the role correctly, you know? But I actually, watching her, I was like, yes, she's being completely ridiculous and she's failing at particularly being funny, but just in terms of like, hey, this is a problematic functioning alcoholic. I I enjoyed it. I was like, this is actually like a very honest depiction of an adult who is just not functioning well also i just thought that she was like doing the most she was being incredibly extra for no reason she's trying really she's trying really hard but all none of her jokes are landing like she's supposed to be she's supposed to be the comic relief film she's supposed to be the funniest character but she's not i I enjoyed her i feel like i feel like she's the type of thing where scenes with her talking I could just be flipping through my Instagram account and just see photos of like memes of her talking, and I'd be like, "Preach, girl!" Like, but I art. like I, fe- I feel bad about like dissing her like this because she quit acting afterwards. She hasn't been in the film in six she years. Really quit acting. Critics destroyed her. Is that really? I don't know yeah. because Cameron Diaz has done other bad performances. It's not like 
She That's only does good one. ones before Has she been that. in anything worse than this? I really didn't like Bad Teacher, for example. Yeah. She was in the box, and she wasn't particularly good in that. But, um... I mean, she was trying something different. Anyway, I, mean, I will so say that I still listen to the Cameron Diaz songs from Annie. Yeah. So those are kind of the main actors. Behind the scenes, uh, we had the director of Easy A directing, which have you seen Easy A? I've actually seen Easy A like 10 times because yeah, I think I it's love a Easy really a. good movie. It's, um, it was written by uh, Bert V. Royal, who wrote the script for Dog Sees God, which I started in an RCSI. So it's really good scripts, good director. Um, I'm surprised. I think the director just doesn't have an idea how to direct musical sequences. Like he's the music. When you listen to the soundtrack of this movie, you're like, "This is going to be amazing." But when you watch the actual sequences, it's like kind of anemic. I don't. I think okay. What I, I think that he genuinely struggled at a bit mm-hmm. was figuring out how to make the value of Annie's relationship with her new father figure be about like the love that she's now getting, like the love and mm-hmm. affection that she's now able to get rather than the access and privilege that she's now able to get. Yeah. See, part of the problem is that when she's taken in, um, there's the, I, I think I'm going to like it here song, which is, I think in the original version, it's kind of like, Oh, I'm being surrounded by all these people who love me and all this is really exciting and stuff. And eventually she learns to like, while she's all these important things. So what's more important is like people around her love her. Um, I feel like in the new version, they just really kind of push the whole consumerism angle of the second act, where it's like, she's got everything she wants from a materialistic society point of view, but they never yeah. they never go back against that. And there's a bit later on in the film where you, like Annie's real parents show up and she's taken away from um, Jamie Foxx. And I feel like with that bit that they should have, I would have really liked it if he had left the apartment, the really nice apartment he's in, and it's like, oh, you can have this with your, um, you know, real parents and I'll like, I'll stay in one of the other houses or something. I think that would have shown like the emptiness of because she'd be surrounded by all the things that she thought she was there for and she thought that she loved like the indoor swimming pool and great views in New York. But when she didn't have that kind of father figure in her life, there was something missing. And she realizes that like what she's missing all this time as an orphan is not like lots of money, but it's like, you know, loving parents. Yeah, because I will say, okay, I also don't think, I think that if the movie wanted to push the okay, now she has money and she has access and she has a fog of a figure angle. Like I said before, her apartment is still, like the apartment is still really nice that she yeah. starts off with. Like I'm sitting there being like, I could never, uh, even with a future doctor's <laughs> yeah. salary, I would never be able to afford an apartment that nice. Yeah, like it's still like a million dollar apartment. She just moved into like a $100 million penthouse. Yeah, and so... On a comparison basis, I was like, okay, like I understand what the movie's going for, but they never, you know, when you're supposed to make like a dynamic difference, like you have to start the character down low to make their high seem really apparent. But then when you're starting the character like here, there is just isn't that much of a difference, you know? Yeah, you need more of a Cinderella thing where she's completely down in depths. Um, originally, they wanted uh, Ryan Murphy, the director of Glee, to make this. I think he would have done a great job. I think so. So I will say I'm occasionally not the biggest fan of Ryan Murphy's work. However, I, having got with my mother to the uh, Glee American tour, back when Glee was a thing, because that is what my mom wanted to do for her birthday. And you know That's what? what your mom wanted to do for her birthday. Yeah, my mother really wanted to go to the Glee tour mm-hmm. for her birthday. And when your Brazilian mother tells you she wants to do something, you do it. 
<laughs> that is that is the way one behaves in a Latino household. Because my mom likes Glee. She's not the target audience of Glee. My mom, you know what? My mom's the target audience for everything wholesome. <laughs> and back okay. then, Glee was quite wholesome. So okay. I will say Ryan Murphy knows how to direct a musical number. He does. And I think he would have been great. Fortunately, we didn't get him. We got this movie instead. But they did have some excellent people behind the scenes in the singing roles. Uh, there is a new song added to this um, by, is it Sia or Sia, S-I-A? I think it's Sia, but I'll also say it's one of those names that I've never had someone say out loud. Yeah, it's like I have a friend Maya and a friend Mia. Which is which because it's, like, it's just very confusing to me. Anyway, we'll call her Sia. Um, she wrote a new song called Opportunity for this. and It was a bop. It got a Golden Globe nomination. I'm going to play a little bit of it now. And uh, Sia also did like this kind of like downbeat instrumental version. It's also pretty good. Play some of that. And most importantly, uh, she had a duet with Beck called Moonquake Lake. Can you sing How it? How did get through 30 minutes without singing? Oh my, I, it skipped my, how? We spent the year singing that, long, that song where it's like, Moonquake, 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 I don't know the other words. So, like, this is, Beck was the height of his career. I think he just won a Grammy at this stage for Best Album. And C was the height of her career. And somebody got two of together. They got her write a song called Moonquake Lake, which they play for all of six seconds. And the background is that they're at, is that the orphans are the red carpet premiere for a... And Nanny, they make such fun of this plot. And like, um, Ashton Kutcher and Myla Kunis are going on in real life are clearly just like, huh, wouldn't this be ridiculous if Hollywood made this like dumb Twilight knockoff? And then four months later, they started a film that is considerably more absurd. Worse. I will say we're gonna end up talking about Jupiter Ascending because I will actually fight someone who doesn't like Jupiter Ascending because I stand by that Jupiter Ascending is a fantastic movie and I'm not even saying this ironically I like Jupiter Ascending I've seen Jupiter Ascending at least three times I enjoyed it every single time and yeah fight me we'll do Jupiter Ascending as one of our films on, on this podcast I guarantee um and also in this short part of uh, Ju- of um Jupiter Ascending of Moonquake Lake Brianna appears. So somehow for this fake film, they had a better cast and supporting cast than yeah. the entire film. 
I was actually standing there being like, can we actually have Moonquake Lake exist? Because yeah. the the budget that was spent for literally six seconds. Yeah, it was such a waste. I was like, it's always a bad sign for a film when you're like, I would want, like to watch the film that other people are watching. Like when you watch I Am Legend, you watch Shrek. And you're like, yeah, I kind of want to watch Shrek right now. Yeah. And I don't, it's strange because I was very excited about Annie when it was first announced. Like, this is actually one of those movies where I told myself, oh, I really want to see it because the trailer was really good. I really like the actress. I really like the general premise of the movie overall. She's very talented. I know that she can sing. I think it's going to be a really good movie to just watch with my friends. You know, like uh, my friend Katrina was going to come see it with me and we were going to have like a nice girls night and watch it together. And it just ended up being really bad. Yeah, and like I listened to the soundtrack up before watching the film, and I was like, this is going to be great. And um, I just watched it, and it wasn't. Um, you, you know what contributed to it being bad that I stand by? The fact that they tried to do a car chase scene at the end, because Annie yes. isn't about that. That's what think... killed it for me. So you for know... people who haven't watched the film, Annie is kidnapped at the end by her, like, supposed to be real parents, who aren't the real parents. Um, and there's a car chase where the good guys chase the car in a helicopter and they figure out where the car is going because people like who see Annie, this stage Annie is a celebrity, uh, people see her uh, tweet like, Annie for reals, like she's turning left on 5th and 11th. And it's so dumb. At least it's they're so able to bad. talk about like, the this, influence that Twitter has. Chase, I think I would give it like three stars. The car chase instantly. Instantly kills any sort of positive feedback I have. However, I will say now that you've brought that up, I'm like, oh, huh, they did correctly uh, discuss the influence of Twitter on modern society. Annie is a discussion of Twitter. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Like the character is a, the kind of hero character is a, is a wealthy mogul of New York who's like media savvy. You just uses Twitter and runs for political office. I feel like this isn't a film you could make in 2020. I do not feel this is a film we can make in 2020 for a variety of reasons. Also because I'm just like, mm, it's 2020, eat the rich. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, also, I, jo- I joke, but do I joke? Yeah. <laughs> you know? You know? I, I mean, I like the idea of having a more representative cast of modern New York. Like, think about this. What um, recent film adaptation came out that took a character that was um, traditionally white, portrayed in comic books for decades, and uh, had a black character and was really well received, won an Oscar. Uh, okay, I will say, I don't know if it did, it, okay, I don't know if this one won an Oscar, but Miles Morales. Yeah, exactly, Miles Morales. Um, Spider Man Into the Spider Verse won Best Animated Feature. So, like, there is. See, I didn't actually book. know that it won Best Animated yeah. Feature, but like, fair play to Miles Morales because I really enjoy him. I really like the idea of like a black and Latino like character, you know, being able to go into a role and getting like. I don't know, the love and adoration he deserves. Because if you remember in the comic book universe, Miles Morales was actually really controversial when he mm. first showed up. Like, a lot of people were against him. And I'm like, no, he's yeah. a really cool character. Yeah. Well, he's getting his own video game this year. New Spider-Man game. Very PS5. There you go. Things are going well. Um, so we've talked about reasons that... I think some of the reasons I didn't like the film as well. Car Chase is terrible. Would have liked if they used Tomorrow about, like, a third of the way through the film. So the way it appears in the musical is that when she's at her low points... Before she meets um, Warbuck, she like sings it and she's like dreaming that tomorrow could be better. Um, but they didn't really put it in here. They put it in at the very end as like an upbeat number, um, but not before that. 
And it feels like all the other famous numbers, like it's hard not live. Uh, they kind of rushed, like it felt like they were embarrassed to to do it. So and I was like, don't be embarrassed, embrace the cheese, you know. Like the yeah, most successful musicals recently are self-aware. Annie. If you're yeah. gonna direct Annie, you have to do the Annie songs. Like that's part of the. Yeah, the that's whole what people premise. are there for. You know, people aren't there for the plot. The plot is paper thin. You have a main actress who can sing. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's like you have a main actress who can sing, so obviously sing. Sing it all. Sing the whole thing. Whole thing in song. Yeah, she can properly sing. I'm going to play a little bit now of her singing. And she's good. <laughs> also, 2014. Glee was still a thing 2014, right? It was still a thing. It was still running, yeah. Yeah, and it was still like a big thing. I'm pretty sure in 2000. Wait, let me see. It is currently 2020, so I would have been... 21 back then and I still would have totally been into Glee which means that Annie should have you know what I mean there would have been no shame we were at like peak like we love music everywhere in a tv series yeah I feel like if they just embraced it that um that they would have been uh that they would have been massively successful but it feels like they were embarrassed to do a large-scale major musical which doesn't make any sense considering how big the greatest showman was three years later so yeah it's just, I feel like the I feel like the movie had all these aspects of success that would have been fantastic, and they then they just kind of flubbed it in terms of the direction. Like mm-hmm. I just feel like they couldn't fully commit to the concept of Annie. They couldn't fully commit to the musical numbers, even though they had the talent for it. Yeah. And then they ended up kind of. I feel like someone really quickly skimmed Annie and went, oh, yeah, her life is great because she's rich now. That's, yeah. that's what this movie is about. Yeah, and I feel that Cameron Diaz's character was, like, poorly di- written, poorly directed, and poorly acted. I feel like that's what I don't know. I, I just... Uh, but but I also, I've I also felt like that the villain, the Bobby kind of things, character, just to, was not good. Like, I feel like you just say these things to make me sad. Why are you hating on my baby Cameron so, Diaz? So this film made a made a loss, it like a slight loss. Would you rank it as a like failure, a fiasco, or a secret success? Yeah, ask me if it's a bop or a scam. Bop or a scam. It's hard because the soundtrack is a bop. Mm, I would agree. Soundtrack a bop, movie scam. For me, the movie's a failure. It's not bad enough to be a fiasco. But I'd say people at home, listen to the soundtrack, never see the film. Go home happy. Yeah, because there are there are musicals. Like remember when we saw Hamilton? Like it the when sung by different actors, like of course the music sounds a bit different, but then the show itself can carry itself independently from the music. But the high points of Annie were quite literally the main actress's ability to sing. Yeah. Okay. I mean, her acting overall and everything, but it's just, I think that the movie would have benefited from considering other actors for the roles. Yeah, I felt they probably, they probably cast based on star power more than anything else. Recast. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so there is potential for good any movie. I think we're coming up to 40 minutes, so we might call it a day. But it's been wonderful talking to you. And we'll see you next time. I like you. Thank you too. Thank you. Bye.